Welcome to Breaking the Surface, where we break into a delicious beverage and also dive into the topic at hand. I'm one of your co-hosts, Taylor Kramer. I'm the owner and lead producer for Cold Shower Media. I'm Beth Milligan. I'm a journalist here in Traverse City. And I'm another friend. I am Anthony Weber, and I am a pastor and an ethics teacher, and I am something of a fashion icon when it comes to oversized sweaters. The point here is that we want to go beyond the talking points to get to the depths of what is happening in our world. It should also be said that this podcast is part of the Boardman Review Podcast Collective in collaboration with Cold Chart Media. The Podcast Collective aims to provide unique content curated by the Boardman Review, the creative culture and outdoor lifestyle journal of Northern Michigan. All right. In order to keep with theme for the fall, today's beverage is the Ichabod Pumpkin Ale from New Holland. Beth, what can you tell us in terms of the description of this beer? Uh, Sure. So from the New Holland website, uh, they say that Ichabod sets the mood for the season with the perfect blend of malted barley, real pumpkin, and bewitching notes of cinnamon and nutmeg for a delicious and inviting brew. And it has a ABV of 4.5. So it's kind of like a lower, easy drinking kind of beer. Taylor, did you feel bewitched? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I, anytime the leaves start to change color, I do. So yeah, but I, I really like this beer. I had one, let's see, this weekend I was grilling out. It was, it was still pretty warm, but it just felt fitting to be, to be outdoors on a month like this and enjoying a beer. Yeah. And I will just add that I've had a lot of different pumpkin beers and some of them get like super spicy or like super sweet with a cinnamon. And this is like very like balanced. So if you're yeah. looking for something that's not like too crazy pumpkin-y, it's, it's good. I already love fall in Northern Michigan and this gives me one more reason to look forward to it. So thank you, New Holland. Welcome to episode 15 of Breaking the Surface. And I am looking forward today to talking with Taylor and Beth about some of the recent entertainment that we have been consuming. I'm a big fan of studying the stories of a culture and enjoying the stories of a culture. I think it tells us a lot about uh, not just who we are, but maybe where we've come from and where we're going. And so today we're just going to kind of go around our little podcast circle and talk about things we've observed lately and off we go. So I'm going to throw it to Taylor first to get the discussion going. All right. And and just as a, a little caveat here, I don't know that we're going to specifically cover and, and spoil anything per se, but we, we are talking about the themes of some of these shows. So we'll give the titles. And then if you're like, yeah, you know what? I want to figure this stuff out for myself by watching it and, and not having our input first, um, then you you may do that. So the two shows that came to mind, and I don't know if you guys have the same problem, but you watch a show and you actually might like it. And then you maybe research it after the fact. And once you read other people's opinions of it, you're like, yeah, maybe it wasn't as good as I thought it was. I'm very guilty of being swayed by other people's opinions of, of <laughs> entertainment. Are either of you like that? Or are you staunch in like what you, what your initial judgment was? You can stick to it. I can be influenced. I think I also don't like I don't like going into shows completely blind. Like I, there are people like my partner, Joe, like doesn't really watch trailers that much or doesn't like to like hear a lot about what someone thinks about a show. Like he likes to go in with like a clean slate. I like to have some sense of where I'm going, but like I try to be vague about it now. Like I'll look at a Rotten Tomatoes like number, you know, it'd be like, okay, it's 89%. It's probably good. I'm going to go watch it. And then I'll come back and read some of the reviews. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think I'm good either way. But an example that comes to mind of what you're talking about was when I first saw a movie called The Babadook. Mm -hmm. 
I thought it was okay. And then I found out what it was about. And then I thought it was brilliant. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, okay. So that's more of a positive spin on that. Yeah. Um, the, t- the two shows I'm talking about where apparently after having done a little bit more research into them, I like them a little bit less, or at least one of them. Um, but I'm trying to hold firm to what I had initially thought, but it's white Lotus that I think is available on HBO and nine perfect strangers, which was on Hulu. And I didn't actually make this connection maybe cause I'm kind of dense, but the article that I was reading that was breaking both of these down was kind of saying that uh, nine perfect strangers, it came out really close to when white Lotus came out. It was paralleling a lot of the same themes. And so that may be one of its downfalls and the reasons why it, it might get a little bit um, harsher of a judgment than white Lotus is just cause it wasn't first. And there, there are a lot of similarities, but what, what I thought white Lotus and nine perfect strangers brought about and the premise, the loose premises of these are white Lotus is there's as many as 10 characters that the show will focus on where they're staying at a five-star resort in Hawaii. And of course, to stay at a resort like that, you're very affluent. And so it, it really delves into kind of the the subculture that is, uh, I guess, wealthy living and people uh, have these, these problems, many of which, uh, could be traced back to the fact that they have a lot of wealth and it has that corrupted their morality in some way. So they're going on a vacation, a vacation to escape, you know, some of their struggles and to, to be pampered while they're there and really digs into each of, of the characters. And one of the interesting things, because I haven't watched many shows like this, I wasn't really rooting for anybody. Mm -hmm. And even the people that I thought I was rooting for by the time the show um, ended and it, and it, and it told you where they, where they ended up, you were like, I don't really respect that position that they ended up in. So now even the people I was rooting for, I'm not really a fan of. And so I thought that that was really, really interesting and maybe kind of just gives great examples of what life is like. Like we all have these these struggles that we have with morality and having to come to terms with some of these things. But essentially both shows, they represent moral failings. So we're all suffering from, or at least the characters in the show, but I would argue that all of us are suffering from moral deteriorations. And, and some of those deteriorations- Speak for yourself, yeah, sir. Like I said, maybe not everybody, but you know, Hollywood. It's all that money you have that's yeah, corrupting you. Yes, yes. <laughs> but you know, some deteriorations could be results of events that are beyond our control. And so did trauma happen? Did an unexpected event happen where we didn't respond in in a great way to it? And so then we have this moral deterioration, but what, what triggered that moral deterioration was beyond our control. Mm. And then there's other types of moral deterioration where we've kind of made decision after decision. And we've, we've kind of ended up in these places by our own doing where we were compromising on our morality bit by bit. And then eventually the foundation just falls out beneath us. Mm. And so I thought that that, that both of those shows really represented some of that and people having to come to terms with some of that moral moral deterioration, white Lotus, these people are on vacation. And so maybe that doesn't present uh, as great of an opportunity to, you know, work on yourself. Whereas nine perfect strangers, uh, these people are going on this wellness retreat. Again, they're very affluent, except for a couple that received a scholarship to be there. But they're paying top dollar to essentially be on this wellness retreat and be healed from the things that are that are corrupting them and that are causing issues in their life. And so there were those parallels. But I really thought that both were fascinating shows and made me wonder 
how and why I need to wrestle with the things on a daily basis that maybe I should be in service of other people. Mm. Did you find them to be hopeful? White Lotus, I did not find to be hopeful. Um, there were characters there that you watched them wrestle with certain things throughout the entire series of like, I'm not really the person I want to be, or I'm meant for something else. I'm meant for something more. Well, they have all of these, you know, perks and benefits of being wealthy. And so they have to determine by the end of the season, am I willing to give that up? Um, where I'm, I'm not going to have the, the life that I did. Most of them chose to, to just continue down that path of, yeah, I mm -hmm. like what money brings me, even if it compromises my morality in some way, I you know, have to be, or they, they end up being okay with that. So there wasn't hope in like that one. The new Testament where Jesus is like the, the rich guy's like, what do you want to like, what should I do to follow you? And he's like, uh, give up your money and follow me. It's like, no, thank you. I think I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I think I like the money. I did not see white Lotus, but I did see nine perfect strangers and I plan to watch white Lotus. I did have several friends who told me that it was really good. Whose um, taste I trust. Mm -hmm. So um, what I, you know, there's not really a limited edition Nicole Kidman series that I will not watch um, at yeah. this point. She's done quite a few the last couple of years and I generally enjoy them. How do you feel about her accents? Uh, I, I don't feel great about them. Okay. <laughs> you um, might. Oh, you did watch that. Right? I did. You said I you, did. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I didn't. I did not love. She has a Russian accent in the show and I, I did not love it. And she's clearly meant to be a little bit of like a Gwyneth Paltrow, mm. like healing guru type that you're supposed to be skeptical of, I think as an audience member. Right. Um, and then, you know, kind of for good reason as the show unfolds, but I think, you know, I didn't love it. It was like one of those shows where I had an embarrassment of riches in terms of like the cast, like just yeah. a really great cast, but the writing was kind of all over the map and the ending wasn't really, uh, I found very satisfying. I just think, I think they, it was a show that could have been about much more than it mm -hmm. was, which ended up being kind of a, a fairly shallow plot. But I will say that between that show and the movie Old, which came out this summer, the M. Night Shyamalan movie, mm. that I will never go to a resort and drink a smoothie that someone hands to me. <laughs> yeah, that is one of the <laughs> other It was a themes. weird theme this summer of people being drugged or, yeah, dosed through <laughs> smoothies at fancy resorts where it's like, okay, I've learned that lesson, if nothing else. Yeah. What, so do you think that that's kind of another, I thought that was an interesting thing where- for this wellness retreat in the show, nine perfect strangers. Um, they have signed, they've signed off on some of these things that they're being subjected to, but they, they didn't really read like the fine print. And so they're being given these smoothies and they're being microdosed or not microdosed. Some were microdosed and others weren't in an attempt to, I don't know, look inward and, and, and find healing. Um, does that in some way like parallel some of the conversations we're having in society right now with like autonomy and, Yes, we're agreeing to some things, but you still may be compromising on some of your autonomy at the mm. same time. Like consent. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It's interesting. The, the show, or at least Nicole Kidman's character on the show, seems to try to make the argument that we don't always make the best decisions for ourselves. And that's how like her justification for subjecting people in the show to some of these experiments is that the ends justify the means, essentially. Right. Like if you're incapable of making a decision for yourself to like have a breakthrough with your healing or wellness, maybe you need someone from the outside to sort of push you right there. Yeah. Which is an interesting concept, but I think I would disagree with that takeaway because I don't mm. think any personal growth really happens unless <laughs> you're an active agent in it. Yeah. Mm. Agreed. Yeah. What? So yeah, you got to struggle a bit. 
don't yeah. know if Anthony, you have more questions about it. Just we'll save you the trouble of having to watch um, some of these. <laughs> we can answer all your questions, well, but no, they sound interesting. I'm, I haven't seen either one of those and I'm, I'm interested with that idea of this guru. It sounds like looking at someone and going, I will help those who can't help themselves or who don't want to help themselves and kind of this way of justifying perhaps terrible things with an altruistic kind of argument, or at least in your head, it sounds like I have the greater good in mind. And I'll actually get to that with one of the shows I want to talk about. Okay. She, she also, I think, you know, the, one of the takeaways from the show too, is that she is just as broken as everyone else right. that she is like serving. So she has her own ulterior motives. She has her own like pain and grief that she's trying to work through. And really everyone is almost at this resort as a way for her to get to her own breakthrough, which I think is a kind of interesting thing about like any sort of health or wellness gurus or people who, you know, pretend to have the answers is that they often don't have the answers for mm -hmm. themselves. And so you can, I like that idea of like questioning that. Um, but I, again, I don't know that that show particularly did it. Well, right. yeah. <laughs> so I, I guess just to kind of wrap up my section of the conversation, I, if anything, whether the show was good or bad or however you, you deem it, um, that I, it gave me this realization that my ability to, or my inability not to wrestle with morality, oftentimes like each and every day, trying to figure out where you stand on something, where you're gonna, where you're gonna tow that line, um, can deeply impact people around me. And I think that sometimes my failure to come to grips with things like that, they can lead to like explosive revelations, like boom, and a relationship can end in an instant or something major can happen. But oftentimes like, and almost more scary, it can just be that slow eroding. You know, if you compromise um, a little bit each day on a relationship or how you're treating someone, then eventually the bottom's going to fall out or it can fall out. And you, and you just can't predict that of when that's going to happen, you know, because someone that you're interacting with is going to finally draw that line and just be like, enough is enough. I'm done. Mm. And so I think it, it could serve as an important reminder of just like, keep these things in check, revisit some of these things each and every day. It's almost like when you look at where you are in life and you go, how did I get here? The answer is always one step at a time. Right. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yep. So I'm curious to hear about Anthony uh, <laughs> about oh, your uh, <laughs> uh, I was, I was going to wait for you to go Beth, but sure. I'll jump into a little bit. Cause I want to pull off of some things that Taylor already said. So, I mean, if you're going to ask me from some flyover lighthearted shows, what if on Disney plus oh, yeah. all the Marvel retellings, really enjoyable. And uh, if you haven't seen it, watch the episode on Thor, it'll just make you happy. Uh, but the two more serious ones that I've watched recently, and this will say something about my, my taste in entertainment for better, or for worse. One was the squid game and the other one is midnight mass. Oh, okay. It's like a horror one, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, though some of the reviewers are inclined not to see it as a horror story. Um, but I'll get to that in a second. So mid or, um, the squid game kind of caught my eye because it's become this phenom on Netflix. Mm -hmm. I think it's out of Korea. Mm -hmm. um, and I enjoy foreign filmmaking because often just the story is told differently or the cinematography is different. It's just enjoyable to watch something that's different. And no doubt this is a really violent show. Um, not sure how much to give away because I don't want to do too many spoiler alerts. Uh, and I was telling Taylor before we started recording that one of the things I don't like about dubbed foreign films is that the dubbing voices often sounds silly and it's actually a bit of a chore to 
try to just hear what people are saying or watch the actors and actresses faces, because I, I think the show was more serious and in some ways more profound than I picked up on when I was watching it, just because sometimes the dub over voices are really distracting. But the basic thing it's wanting us to wrestle with is how far would we go if we're in desperate straits, how far would we go to get out of that situation? And especially if someone we loved was in danger and this won't give away a plot, but the main character's mother is really sick, needs medical care. They can't afford it. And he sees an opportunity to get her medical care. Well, as the story unfolds, you realize this kind of comes back to what we were talking about, Taylor, one step at a time, Mm -hmm. like people who would never be inhuman to their fellow human beings by the end of the show are remarkably so. Is it fair to say, just to give people a little context without going to, it's sort of Hunger Games-esque, Sort of Hunger Games-esque. Yeah. With uh, 500 people competing for a prize and only one can win. Mm -hmm. And you find out pretty early on that those who are, elimination is death. Mm -hmm. So whoever wins will only win because everyone else has died. They do have an option. If the majority of players at any given time vote to end the game, Mm. they can leave. Mm. That only happens one time. And that's the first game they play. (laughs) The majority of people who survive vote to leave, but then they all get invited back and they pretty much all come back and never vote to leave again. Mm. So meanwhile, they're building coalitions because some people in there are desperate. It seemed like in a sense, good people who are trapped in a horrible situation and they desperately need the money. And then there's really horrible people. So they tend to form these coalitions, but you know that as the story goes on, eventually that coalition, someone will have, well, everybody but one will have to die. And, um, okay, that's all I want to say about the plot. I found myself really intrigued by wanting to see what the characters would do. You know, when a push comes to shove, would you actually at some point give your life for someone else and go, I can't do it. This is, this is the bridge too far. And there is a character who almost by luck makes it to round after round, even though it seems he's often trying to like do the right thing in the moment and go, no, I can't do this. But even he at one point does something pretty dastardly. Um and, and so it's, it's kind of appealing back, I think, of our nature. What are we really like? And in that sense, it is really unsettling because for the most part, it does not show characters who at the end of the day are good people deep inside. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's trying to make a commentary on humanity in general or the corrupting power of money. Um. But this moral deterioration that you see going back to what you were talking about with your shows, I'm not sure if you're watching moral deterioration happen or if you're simply seeing a moral deterioration that was already there exposed. Mm -hmm. That maybe, maybe that's what the show is doing is asking the question, are we capable of more monstrous things than we ever dreamed? And this show seems to say yes. Mm -hmm. Like the, like the games aren't maybe necessarily creating monsters, but just, yeah unleashing the monsters that are already inside of us. Yeah. Which is a really different thing than even the hunger games took a bit of a different approach. If I remember, like you discovered people in those games who were good people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not everybody was willing to just slaughter everybody else. And I'm trying to think of other shows or movies that have asked the same question and have reached the other conclusion. 
Uh, oh, okay. Actually, that's what Midnight Mass does. So okay. I'm going to bump to Midnight Mass. Yeah. Okay. Any questions about the Squid Game so far? No, it sounds interesting. Okay. It, it's interesting. It is very violent. Um, and it clearly sets itself up for another season. Um, okay. Midnight Mass, I really like Mike Flanagan. He did um, The Haunting of Hill House, mm-hmm. among other things. Mm-hmm. And I thought The Haunting of Hill House was brilliant. And the, the basic premise of Midnight Mass, there's a, a group of under 200 people who live on a fairly isolated island. And it was a fishing village and the fishing industry took a hit. And now people are struggling to make ends meet. And a lot of stuff has just fallen apart. People are sick. People are getting elderly. People are becoming alcoholics. Um, just a lot of kind of general deterioration on the island. They have a priest there who is a loved priest, but he's really old. And so his par- parishioners get together and they send him to the Holy Lands. It was always his, his goal to go to the Holy Lands. They send him to the Holy Lands. Well, he doesn't come back. Instead, a young priest comes back and says, listen, um, he was much sicker than you think. He's in a hospital on the mainland. I'm here to take his place. Uh, okay, I have to give spoiler alerts yeah. for, for this one. So everybody listening, huge spoiler alerts here. <laughs> um, it turns out that young priest is the old priest. And when he was in the Holy Land, his dementia was so bad, that was correct, that he kept getting lost from his group. And at one point in the desert, he gets separated from his group and wanders into a cave and there's a vampire there. And in his dementia, he thinks it's an angel. Well, this vampire bites him and then gives him some of his own blood and he wakes up the next morning young. And and so he's, the show I think intends to establish that he's lost a bit of touch with reality Um, because he's convinced he was healed. Who heals but God? This is a miracle. And so he takes this vampire slash angel back with him to the island in a box, sneaks him in. And here's where this end justifies the means that you were talking about earlier. He seems to be a guy with a really good heart. And as far as you know, his reputation on the island was spotless before this. Um, Something comes up later. Um, But generally speaking, he was a good guy. And he really thinks in his disillusion or his delusionment that he is bringing back a cure for the island Mm. and how he goes about uh, helping people access that. I won't give that away, but as the show unfolds and each episode is framed as a section for the Bible. So episode one is Genesis. The last episode is revelation. The one before last is acts of the apostles. It's kind of a clever thing. Flanagan grew up Catholic and he no longer is Catholic though. He's not an angry ex Catholic. Um, important distinction. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. Because I, th- I thought in many ways, his presentation of what real faith ought to look like was really good. Like the first couple episodes is this really compelling image of what the church and church leaders might be like if they really were kind of present in the world, um, the way that Christians think we were intended to be present in the world. And then what you see, kind of this vampire motif introduces corruption. Um, And Flanagan said that in an interview that this is now the corrupting of something good and corrupt it does. Mm. Um, But at the, at the end, you discover it doesn't corrupt everybody, even those influenced by the same thing. So this goes back to a a comment you made 
about um, will people grow from their experiences or mm-hmm. yes. Or does it expose people? I guess I made that comment about squid game. So I'll quote myself. <laughs> um, it does expose people and you find out that um, not everyone is the same. Um, and a practical thing is some of the people who get turned don't indulge their newfound appetite. They just, there's kind of a subtext of addiction through the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Are you a, a helpless victim of your addiction or not? And it turns out that people with character respond one way and people without character, it almost gave them permission. Like now the urge is strong. I just won't fight it. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the show, I should add, you have Catholics, you have um, a Muslim who is present in the show, you have non-believers, and the show seeks to represent all of them in both their brokenness and their potential for good things to be present there as well. And just like The Haunting of Hill House, there's some fantastic sub-stories of relationships between people. Mm. Um I found that as fascinating as anything else. But as a Christian watching the show, there were, there were times I was like, okay, I'm not sure if I should just stop watching. Like, is the director here really trying to say something terrible or is he like mourning how good things can be broken and damage people? So I read a bunch of reviews about it after I watched it and the reviewers are all over the map. And it seems like Flanagan likes that, uh, like good art lets people bring an interpretation. So it sure seems like depending on your experience as a Catholic, your experience as a person of faith or not a person of faith, all kinds of things, you'll walk away from the show with very different opinions of what he was trying to say. My sense, and then my time is probably way over. My sense is that it did feel to me like um, a morning of... There was something that could have brought a lot of good into the world, but corruption has leaked in and it's actually caused a lot of damage. And that includes good people being in a system that hurts people. Mm. And I, I'm wondering if it's a bit of a parable on the scandals that have unfolded in the Catholic church in the last number of years. I mean, I just saw a new document came out this weekend, 3000 plus priests that have been covered up with abuse. So um, I don't know. And I, I suppose Flanagan would be happy that I give it whatever interpretation I want. But that was kind of the sense I felt like almost a nostalgia of what could have been and a bit of a horror of what it has become. And then yet ending with the reflection that it doesn't mean everything was bad. Hmm. Like there are, in fact, I saw a number of angry ex-Catholics who felt like he was too generous in his presentation of a faith that can still bring meaning and hope in spite of all its travails. So anyway. That sounds really interesting. <laughs> I haven't seen that yet, but um, I have a very like complicated relationship with horror where I, I'm very, I don't like gore. Obviously a lot of horror movies are very gory um, and I don't like jump scares. <laughs> mm. So I'm, I, I don't, but what I do love about horror as a genre when it's done well is I think it can engage with so many issues that are so profound, mm-hmm. like, um, you know, mental health and deterioration. If we can trust ourselves, what we're experiencing grief, like the Babadook, um, you mentioned like that midsummer, you know, dealing with relationships and betrayal and the exorcist, like all these great films, the shining, you know, like all of those films I think are really profound because they're wrestling with like 
sometimes it's supernatural darkness, but that's like a metaphor. It's really mm. wrestling with human darkness, like yeah. the things that we have to go through in life and the worst experiences we can have and how do we handle it and how do we come out yep. of it and how do you face your demons or your monsters, whatever they might be. And this is one where for the most part, the people on the on the island, they don't realize that they're being turned and they don't understand that these miracles that they see happening, they all think this is a good thing. They have no idea that they're being manipulated by something evil. And for them to come to grips with something that they thought was good, wasn't. And even for the priest in the show to have his aha moment at the end and look around him and realize what he has done. Mm. And yeah, intentions only go so far. Mm. Um, He might've had the best intentions in the world and yet he unleashed evil on the island. And for him to watch him reckon with that rather than look away from it and continue in his delusion thought was a powerful moment. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. It, it just seems like some there's connections between kind of what we're talking about. I don't know. I don't know if we're all kind of drawn to the same types of shows that are bringing these things out, or if we just pick up, you know, those types of things in what we're watching. But um, I like that idea of, you know, how do you come out of that on the other side and determining, am I going to just go along with, with how I've always been and, and this corruption that I'm living in? Um, or am I going to put a stop to this? Or sometimes I think we just sit in acknowledgement. We think that just simply acknowledging the wrongdoing that's going on is enough. But if the acknowledgement isn't followed by action, then that we're still complicit, I think. Yeah. 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 What do you do with what you know? Because mm-hmm. yeah, so many things you can unpack from it. All right. <laughs> that was my monologue. No, Beth, it was great. You're I, up. I haven't seen any of those shows. Now I'm really interested. I feel like I'm getting good recommendations. Um, so I, it's interesting what, how you guys both talked about your shows. Cause I had two pairs and you guys both had pairs. And I think it's some, it's interesting when you can kind of put two shows together that are exploring similar themes and think about like how they're doing it well or not well. Um, so one of my pairs would be the Sopranos and succession. I never got around to watching the Sopranos when it was on the air, partly because of my aversion to violence and, it just seemed like it was going to be a dark, long slog. <laughs> but then this new movie, this new Sopranos movie has come out and it just made me realize like we're getting into fall. And I was like looking for some new shows to binge. So I started watching Sopranos. So I'm like almost through the first season of the Sopranos. And Succession has had two seasons on HBO. I have seen all of them. There's a third and final season coming out in a couple of weeks. Um, and both of these shows are so great about exploring how like themes of corruption, themes of power and how um, morally bankrupting being powerful can be and also family. Um, And I think, you know, they're both almost Shakespearean in their, the way that the shows are executed succession in particular. I can't have either of you seen. I have. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So succession is about like essentially like a version of a modern Trump family, but like a media conglomerate family, super, super wealthy. Um, and there's a little bit of King Lear in there where the patriarch of the family has these three children and is sort of trying to decide who among them is going to inherit his Mm. empire. And so they're kind of pivoted against each other. Um, they're all kind of terrible. It's interesting. Mm. Like you were talking about earlier about your shows, like there's not really a character on succession that you root for, but they're so the writing is so funny and amazing, um, that you can kind of like root against them almost mm-hmm. as like anti-heroes and same thing for the Sopranos, obviously right from the beginning, you've got a mob, you know, boss. And, um, I just love, I won't be saying anything new because many people have seen the Sopranos, but I do love how they're trying to 
show this person who has like these tender moments with his kids and has like these ducks in his swimming pool that he's like <laughs> attached to, but is so clearly like being hollowed out by the life that he lives and just seems like in both of those shows also, in addition to talking about the corrupting nature of power. And especially if you're trying to search for power, search for money, greed, um, how those just leave you so utterly miserable and, and morally bankrupt. But they also, in the context of the worlds of the shows, really, I think, critique a lot of American systems, really critique capitalism, really critique how broken a lot of systems are in our country. And those broken systems are sort of where these families are able to move in and be profitable and sort of take advantage of the fact that we live in a broken world and they can make money or have power because of that. So, yeah, I don't know if you guys saw the Sopranos either when it was around, but yeah, I think I was at about season one too. And, um, I haven't finished that, but it's interesting because I've also watched or am rewatching uh boardwalk empire. And there's a lot of those same things where Mm -hmm. there's interactions that take place between the characters And I think that this happens in succession, spoiler alert, but the, the dad does these things where after he does it, he, he hurt people Mm -hmm. and he's like, Hey, what did you expect? I am that guy. Like, it's your fault for not realizing that I was going to do that. And so he, I think separates himself from those actions of being like, they're the idiots that didn't think I was going to take them for a ride here. (laughs) And he has kids that behave the same way. And in boardwalk empire, there's scenes of that same thing where the head boss is like, you know, you think he's, he's about to dole out forgiveness and in actuality, he was reeling somebody in so that he could have them killed. And, and he has these scenes of just like, you don't know me, but Mm -hmm. you, you kind of do like, you might not have thought that I was going to kill you here, but you should have, because I, all signs pointed to me not taking whatever you were dishing out at me. Right. Cause I'm the kind of guy who would kill you. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and I just think that that's interesting because in some ways, aren't we all forced to kind of, now I'm not talking about life and death necessarily, but forced to interact with individuals or systems where we have an inkling that it's not the greatest for us, but sometimes we feel like we're not left with a choice. And so we continue to brush shoulders with, with those entities. Or surely they'll treat me differently. Yeah. Yeah. And succession is so well acted and produced that they're like, especially in the second season, there were moments in that show where and this would only ever happen, like typically in like a thriller or an action movie where I felt like literally pinned to my seat, like completely absorbed in like, like almost like holding my breath, Mm -hmm. but it's just psychological drama. It's just like this, this family dynamics unfolding, but it's so so well done. Um, so I'd really recommend that show if you haven't seen it. It, What I think is interesting about these shows, and this was true, like The Sopranos was really like a key period of ushering in this era of like prestige cable television mm-hmm. um, where we had been like in this long slog of like just network, you know, kind of comedies and like, you know, law and order type shows. And then The Sopranos came and kind of opened up Breaking Bad and everything that came after it. But part of the reason it did that and it was so different than anything else that had been on TV is like, it's kind of ballsy to be like, we're going to make a show where you don't like anyone mm-hmm. <laughs> in the show and expect the audience to go along for the ride. And I can already tell with the direction that The Sopranos is going. And it reminds me of Breaking Bad, which is you're going to take a character who's at a certain level of emotional or, or 
moral journey at the beginning of the show. And we're going to go darker and darker and darker. And are you as an audience member willing to go along for that ride? And when will your sympathies end? Because like, you know, Walter White and Breaking Bad or Tony Mm -hmm. Soprano, highly charismatic characters, you know, Breaking Bad starts out way over here. He's just a high school teacher who gets a disease and trying to figure out how to keep his family alive. So he really degrades. Tony's already kind of started in this dark crime place when the show starts, but they do like continue to make decisions that put them further and further along. And it's an interesting experiment to watch it and be like, do I still, can I still support watching this show and liking these characters? So what's a Breaking Bad teach us? If I remember right, because uh, at the writer's series. Yeah, Vince Gilligan was here in Traverse City. Vince Gilligan. And I remember him talking about how unnerving it was to watch they thought they would lose their audience. They were kind of doing a social experiment to see if they could lose their own audience by making Walter White worse. Mm -hmm. And it really unsettled him that their audience grew the worse Walter White got. Yeah, Yeah. that he, yeah, exactly. That he thought, you know, by the end of the show, there were people who will come up to Vince Gilligan, the showrunner creator and say like how much they like Walter White or whatever. Mm -hmm. And he's like, he was very clear on the writer series. (laughs) You are not supposed to like him. I don't like him. Like this is a guy who, you know, when he has his big scene at the end where he's like, I am the one who knocks. He's like no longer like, I'm not a moral person who's afraid of immoral people. I'm the immoral person you should be afraid of. It's the same trajectory of Ozark. I don't know if you guys have been watching that, but when it first starts, you have some sympathy for a, a guy and his family yeah, he was he was helping out the mob in ways he shouldn't, but in some ways they sure felt like victims. Not anymore. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So what that's is, what does that say about the audience if you are willing to like with the Walter White thing, you are willing to go along with that. Is that cuz people are like um clamoring for something like that? Like, oh, I wish I could could compromise in in a way like that myself, but I would never be able to. Like, what is that driving that? It's an interesting question because, like, I don't feel complicit myself. Like, I could watch Breaking Bad and have empathy for the characters at the end, but still, like, a clear sense myself Mm -hmm. of, like, but they're not good. And I think it's, I don't know, I think it's mistaken to think that in real life people are good or bad people. Like, this might I don't know. It's a little different than what Christianity might think, but I think people have within them the capacity for both at all times. Mm-hmm. And uh, Solzhenitsyn just, said the line between good and evil runs through our hearts. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think Anthony, and I've spoken in the past about more like, instead of looking like in black and white holistic terms of like someone is either a bad person or a good person, you're looking at the trajectory of where they're going. Right. So you could have like a Tony Sopranos like character and you could have a show about how he tries to redeem himself for the life he used to live. You know, maybe he leaves the crime world and he tries to become a better person. And can you ever make up for those sins? Like that would be an interesting show. Um, But I don't think it's bad to watch shows about people going the other way of a trajectory or getting worse because I know people like that in everyday life. And maybe it's dramatized for TV, like a mobster or a hugely wealthy, you know, media company isn't what we normally experience in our daily lives. But we all know people who started out one place and have gone really dark and really messed up their lives. And we know people who've had really dark lives and are coming out of it in a different way. So I don't know. I think it's okay. So I tend to think of entertainment, really good entertainment is three things. It's good and it's true and it's noble. By that, I mean, by good, I simply mean it's done well. Mm -hmm. Um, It's nice to see things with excellence. 
True simply means it tells a true story about the world. So Breaking Bad is a great example. I thought that was a remarkably true story. I, I ended up thinking if anybody who is inclined to want to do drugs watches this show, mm-hmm. this show would be the best PSA you could ever give them because it does not glamorize this at all. Yeah. And then the third thing would be, is it noble? And that is, does it make me want to be a better person? And I wonder if that's one of the questions when we're watching shows, whether people are breaking bad or breaking good. If we're watching a show where people are breaking bad and it's glorified in the sense that it makes you long to be that person, now we have a problem. I would consider that bad entertainment. I mean, it could be entertaining. What's sort of looking But it for? wouldn't be ennobling. It would not be noble entertainment at all. Mm-hmm. But I could watch a show with either of those trajectories because both of them could encourage me to become a better human being. And I think you can wade through an awful lot of the grim reality of human experience if what viewers are taking away from it is, oh, I can learn from this. And I, I hope I either I don't replicate the terrible things that they're doing, or I hope I can find the trajectory this person found as they're moving further into goodness rather than evil. And I think within those parameters, I would say both Succession and The Sopranos are good entertainment because I, there's no, to me, glamoring, glamorous sense of either of these families. They all seem yeah. miserable. <laughs> they all seem like they're deeply unhappy in their relationships <laughs> and with themselves. And it doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't in any way make it seem like this is an appealing right. life to live. <laughs> so it reminds me of the the Daniel Craig Bond movies. Mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of Bond movies, but honestly, I had almost bailed on the franchise because I felt like Bond was an overly glorified, at times, semi-villain. Like oh, yeah. there were some things Very about- misogynistic. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there were some things about Bond that were not good. And I'd gotten to the point where I was like, I don't know if I want to keep supporting this franchise. And I'm pretty sure it started with the first Daniel Craig movie that consequences happened. Mm-hmm. And it was so wonderful. I'm like, right, you can't do what he does without it taking a toll on you mentally, emotionally, physically, you name it. But then also because of the misogyny, they started to introduce female characters who it was clear- he hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, and they didn't shy away from him. I'm like, okay, I think I'm back in. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm really looking forward to the mm-hmm. new one. I should even add. just like, just a small reflection of that, but even like he'll get beat up, you know, he's tired. He's not moving as well. Like yeah. he'll, it just the mm-hmm. physical toll of his lifestyle is finally shown instead of like all the past ones where it was like, he's just like a bulletproof Marvel yeah. superhero. <laughs> all right. Um, yeah, I agree with you. Those are really good. Um, as we get to wrap up, I did just want to, because I think all the shows you mentioned are fairly dark, <laughs> which is maybe just a reflection of where a lot of good entertainment is, but also we're in a pandemic and maybe we're drawn to some of those things. I don't know. Um, but I wanted to mention two shows that are a little more uplifting, uh, a little more positive, And they, I also think they couple well together, like the other ones we've talked about. And those are, um, Ted Lasso and Reservation Dogs. Um, so I think, have you watched Ted Lasso? First season? Yeah. Okay. Do you, have you watched any? I have not. Okay. And I know for a fact <laughs> that there are people uh, in your church who have told you many times that their pastor needs to watch Ted Lasso. It's <laughs> that would be very my clear sister to me, yes. among, among many others. Cause we, it's like our favorite show. What I love about both these shows. So Ted Lasso on Apple TV, uh, reservation dogs is on Hulu. Um, they're one, they're just really funny. They're really well-written, funny, creative shows. Um, but two, they both really illustrate the importance and power of community. Um, so Ted Lasso, one of the things I find so refreshing about Ted Lasso, there's been a lot of think pieces about the show. It's become this huge kind of underdog hit. 
is that he, um, some people talk about how nice the show is or it's kind and it's like a bright spot in a dark world. And it, it is those things, but it's not saccharine. I don't think what really resonates with me with the show is that characters apologize to each other. They talk to each other like real humans mm-hmm. do in real life. They take accountability for their actions They you know, say things like, I just feel like so many times characters in TV shows act like they're all living sort of separately from each other. Yeah. You know, they're tossing off a one-liner and walking out of the room and like in real life, you'd be like, where did he go? Like, why mm-hmm. did he just walk out of the room? These characters in the show are all really seeing each other. They're honoring each other's flaws and weaknesses, but also holding each other accountable. And it's just a really great show. There's, you know, even like the romantic relationship on the show, it's not written where there's constant drama. It's like, here's just a couple in a good, healthy relationship. And they made a mistake and they went and apologized. And like, it's just really well done in that way. And it really acknowledges that for whatever mental health challenges that we have in our own lives, whatever flaws or weaknesses we have, that being in healthy community is the best way for us to grow through those things and to heal from those things. So I think that's a really important message, especially right now in the pandemic and then reservation dogs, which is on Hulu is about an indigenous community, which already is just a setting that almost no shows are in. And it's really about these four native American teenagers who kind of are in this reservation town The every episode like has a new character in it, almost like that are just like, it's Taika Waititi. So he did Jojo rabbit. Um, so if you have any sense of that movie, he's just a wonderful creative person. So there's just so many characters in this town who are just delightful. And I find myself like laughing in a way I've never really laughed at a show before. It's just really Mm. well done. It's, it's really great, but also like it doesn't shy away from again, going to this idea of community reservations are notoriously plagued with alcoholism, with broken families because of the history of genocide that this, you know, community has gone through. There's still a lot of unresolved trauma in the native American community. And so the show doesn't shy away from that. Um, but it deals with it in a really beautiful way. And so you have teenagers who are already dealing with some of the coming of age stuff that you would have in any show about teenagers, you know, growing up and finding their place, but that's especially exaggerated when they're in a community that has all this trauma and brokenness and trying to decide, like, are they going to leave this community and like flee to go out to California and sort of put all of them behind? Or can they find a way to connect with their families and the people in their town and have a space there where they belong? Um, So you're already having this issue of like the white world versus the native American world. And there's some really funny explorations of that and of customs. But I would just say like, Watching diversity in pop culture is a huge way to grow and expand your worldview, I think. And this particular one just made me, there were so many touches about the Native American community that I didn't either know or just felt like I learned about from the show, but it's not preachy. Again, it's super hilarious. And then there are also some episodes that like made me cry because they were just so beautifully done about dealing with those issues in those communities. So I would recommend those two shows. That sounds really good. It's yeah. really, it's great. It's really great. Yeah, especially from what I've saw or seen of Ted Lasso, it the lesson part of the lesson there. I think there's a lot of lessons in that show, but for me is that as the viewer, we have the advantage of being able to see the development of every character, where the characters aren't witnessing that development of mm. their fellow person, right? So Ted is always going in and what is he taking biscuits or something to the GM or the owner? And it's like, that's an act where he's really trying to break down these walls that are between him and the owner of the team um, to get her to kind of open up and, and stuff. 
And that's not something that like the other characters are necessarily aware of. And so we're, we're watching this and we're like, Hey man, like give Ted a little bit of grace, right? Like he's really working on this stuff that you didn't even know he's trying to work on, you know? And I just think that that's an important lesson of like, when we come across people, they're probably working on something. They are a work in progress and we're a work in progress too. And just trying to, to not villainize everybody, I guess, like anytime that they do something wrong, does that make them a villain or does that mean that they just have a little bit of work that they need to do yet? Yeah. And he's not like, I think if the show had kept this theme going of him being like this sort of perfect Andy Griffith Mm -hmm. character, that it wouldn't have been as interesting because the first season was really all about his charm and being a fish out of water as an American in England and um, how he wins everyone over because of his basic goodness. Like he's a good person and a good coach. And eventually even the cynical reporters are all won over by him. Like, okay, that's, it's all right but it could be boring. But the second season really starts to show that how a lot of his compulsion to charm people is hiding a lot of his own internal darkness Mm -hmm. and grief. And it's smart and like getting him into some therapy. There's a, um, a therapist who comes to coach the team and sort of work with the team on some of their challenges and mental health hangups. And he's very like, he refuses to get in there with Mm -hmm. therapists for a lot of the show. And then you eventually figure out why. And she sees right through him immediately. So everyone just like the audience is charmed by Ted and she's like, no, you've got, you've got your own work to do. You got your own demons. Mm -hmm. I can see it. And she's not phased by his charms and attempts to give her cookies like he did with the boss. She sees it. And I love that. Like, I love that they showed that, even that compulsiveness to be liked can be toxic, you know, in, in certain situations and hide everyone's got their issues to deal with. Mm-hmm. Does, does the show teach you how you can go about getting people to give you cookies if they want to be in your good graces? <laughs> be grumpy yeah. and you will get cookies. Okay. Right? Yeah. That's, hey, real quick, two yeah. other things to recommend since you mentioned some shows, yeah. uh, just kind of the multicultural um, and in this case, the the multicultural experience of watching life unfold in a Native American community. Um, Longmire is an interesting show that intersects a lot with the Native American community. And then a movie that is really good called Wind River. Oh, I, I did see Wind River. Which that was is great. somewhat biographical, actually. Um, it, it's based loosely on events that actually do happen, which will make the movie even a little more unsettling. But both of those uh, will give you a lot to think about. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, Anthony, you brought us in. You want to take us out or was that it? Uh, I don't know, man. I, th- I think that's it. Um, I'll go back to, I'm really enjoying what if a lot of fun for all you Marvel fans. Um, it's not quite as dark as the other ones I talked about. And we're also yeah. going to get into the season now. So maybe after like the new year, we could do a follow up episode. That's more about movies since we did all kind of TV mm-hmm. shows today, but the next few months are going to be, we're going to have a new bond movie. Mm-hmm. Dune is coming out, which I'm super, super mm-hmm. excited about. Um, we're getting into that prestige Oscar holiday season. So there'll be like a lot of good movies out. So maybe we could follow up on that in a few months. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of breaking the surface. We hope that just this discussion about um, entertainment, maybe some of the lessons that we've gleaned from it, Uh, was a nice change of pace from some of the other topics that we've covered in in weeks and months past so thanks for tuning in bye bye